The American Council of the Blind presents ACB Reports, a monthly news magazine featuring topics of interest to people who are blind or have low vision. I'm Mike Duke. This month... Updates from the National Library Service for the Blind and Print Disabled and the American Foundation for the Blind. Plus, an important announcement. Welcome to ACB Reports for November 2020. This month, ACB Reports begins with an important announcement. On October 13th, the officers and directors of the Board of the American Council of the Blind voted unanimously to hold the organization's 2021 conference and convention virtually rather than in person. It appears the uncertainty and ever-changing restrictions involving the coronavirus will extend well into 2021 and concern for everyone's health and safety remains paramount. Making this decision now avoids unnecessary expenses and gives the organization time to plan an outstanding virtual conference. The dates for the virtual conference and convention of the American Council of the Blind are July 23rd through 30th, 2021. Regardless of whether the organization's conference is virtual or face-to-face, the annual update from the National Library Service for the Blind and Print Disabled is always a highlight of the event. Karen Kenninger is the director of the National Library Service. While a few items mentioned during her presentation to the 2020 conference have already occurred, others are ongoing. Here is her conference presentation from Monday, July 6th. One of the new things that I'm real excited about that just came out is the ability to subscribe to series on BARD. Now, those of you who are BARD users probably know, I hope you do, that you can subscribe to magazines so that when a magazine new issue comes out, it will be put on your wish list. And now there is a subscription for series, and that is also available on BARD as of a few weeks ago. At the beginning of this fiscal year, which would have been October 1, NLS changed its name. We used to be the National Library Service for the Blind and Physically Handicapped. That terminology got me a whole lot of complaints, the physically handicapped part. So we have changed it to the National Library Service for the Blind and Print Disabled as of last October in order to bring the language up to date and to acknowledge that print disabilities are out there and that we need to be able to serve them. In December, we got some new legislation that gave us several opportunities. One of those opportunities is additional funding for our e-reader project, which we'll talk about in a second. Another is authority to do cross-border exchange through the Marrakesh Treaty. And another one conforms our definitions to the definitions in the Copyright Act that was passed a year before that. And the main one is is the eligibility definition. Now it is a person who is blind, a person who has a visual or perceptual disability or a physical disability. So perceptual disability is the new language in there. And one of the things that we are planning to do is to change the certification process for people who have this perceptual reading disability so that they can sign up more easily. It's been a kind of a, a high bar for them in the past because they had to get a doctor's certificate. But as this fall, we intend to change that so that they have the same options that everyone else who's eligible does. 
that we expect them to primarily be BARD users and not talking about machine users, which means we have to make sure that BARD can handle that. So we're working on a big expansion of BARD capabilities, moving it to the cloud and doing the things that we'll need to double or triple is ability to serve people. We got additional funding for that as well. Marrakesh Exchange is coming, but it isn't just here yet. One of the things that our law requires is that we publish new regulations. And those regulations should be published by the end of this month, I'm told, which will um, give us all the legal backing that we need to actually participate fully in Marrakesh. So when are we going to actually see the results of that? It's going to be yet a little while while we organize the um, arrangements that we will have to exchange with various libraries. We are going to be working, and we have already been working with the Global Book Service, which is part of the World Intellectual Property Organization's project to uh, help with international exchange. We're going to be doing a pilot this, later this summer to implement what we think is going to be a workable paradigm. One thing that you've probably seen if you are in one of our 37 libraries who are doing it is duplication on demand, where you're getting cartridges that are specially customized for you with the books that you want. And there may be up to 10 books on that cartridge. And we fix the talking book machine so that you can just roll from one book on to the next one if you want to. You can also still use the bookshelf feature if you prefer that. But we think this will be a good thing both for the libraries. It makes it a lot easier and for you because it makes all the books that are on BARD that aren't on cartridges available to you on cartridge as well as the ones that you've been getting already. The Braille e-reader project is a project that I have been working toward ever since I came to Washington, actually. And it is now bearing fruit. We got additional funding for it this year, thanks to all the support that we got from you. We have units about to be delivered, 2,000 of them that will be distributed to initially four pilot libraries. We'll be asking the members who get the Braille e-readers to report back on the usability of them and their experience with them so that we can make sure that they are optimal for people. The first set of libraries at this moment in time is Iowa, New Jersey, Kentucky, and Utah. We're assuming they'll all be able to um, work on the pilots. COVID has kind of gotten in the way of that, so there might be a little bit of a change. I'm not sure yet. ACB staff or designated ACB members will also get early pilot units to test out and give us feedback on as well. Next Generation Digital Talking Book Service is another thing that we've been working on for quite some time, and we are still working on it. We do have a prototype of a lockdown cell phone that has a voice user interface so that you can talk to the device and it will get you the books that you're asking for. That project isn't complete yet, but it is definitely making progress. I'm not sure how long it will take to get these things in place, but we're also working on smart speaker implementation as well. BARD Mobile is getting updated, and so is BARD Express. And the last thing that I want to mention is that we are looking at a new location. We are very hopeful that we will get a new location. The reason that this matters is that our new location will be, if we have our way about it, will be on Capitol Hill. What we are hoping for is a facility where we will be able to have not only our offices and our labs and our studios, but we will also have a visitor center that would be intended for both sighted and blind people, including a touch museum that would have artworks, uh, architectural models, and other sorts of things of interest that if you come to Washington, you'd be able to come and visit and look at. 
that's also on the table and we are very hopeful that we will be able to get that project moved along as well. COVID has had major effects on our network libraries as well as on NLS. And I just want to mention that our network libraries have been doing absolutely everything they can to get books out. And I know that in some states, it's been very difficult because they've completely closed the buildings down and people have to work from home. So there's no mail service and there's no real ability to do that. They have to follow their state requirements. They have to quarantine things. They have to go all through a lot of these things in order to do whatever they can manage to do. They are trying to answer the phones. They're using interlibrary loan to try to get books out, things that they can do from home. Um, there are also some sharing across state lines so that one library is helping out another one. Some of them are still open and some are recording and, and doing a lot of that. But actually, at this time, if you're a BARD user, you're in luck. And if you're not a BARD user, if you're not getting the service from your network library right now, if you can get somebody to help you with BARD, you can have access to the whole collection. NLS staff has been in the same boat as our network libraries. Our building's been closed since the first part of April. We just opened wow. it up last week, actually. Everybody had wow. been working from home who could, and the people who couldn't work from home couldn't work. But we're back to some extent. Our music services are back. They're able to start circulating music. It's given us a chance to actually get into some of our collections. The Smithsonian Folkways collection is mm -hmm. something we've been adding slowly to the catalog, and this time has allowed us to add a bunch more of those Smithsonian Folkways products. And if you're interested in traditional music, you might want to check those out. They're well done and pretty interesting. Mm -hmm. Books production has slowed down because our producers went dark for a while, and of course that impacted production. Our studio's been closed and several of our producers were for a while as well. They're ramping up now and the number of books is starting to pick up. I will say that we have managed over 2,500 new books in 2020 in spite of all of this. And with the help of our new books from the network and magazines, we've added over 4,600 titles to BARD in this fiscal year so far. So we're, we're actually doing pretty well there. Um, most of our magazines are back up and running. If you're a magazine subscriber, you should be getting your magazines. You mentioned this in your remarks about perceptual disability versus sensory disabilities. You know, there's a certain amount of theology here. It can get a little theoretical and not so practical, but can you just talk a little bit about sort of the scope of who NLS is supposed to be serving these days and how we're breaking down barriers to make sure that folks beyond you and me, whose only disability is yeah. vision impairment, are part of the mix? This has always been a difficult question. And I think that's why back in the 70s, they said a doctor had to figure it out. We're not going to ask doctors to figure it out anymore, but we are going to ask for school psychologists and reading specialists and types like that to actually certify that a person who is not blind or visually impaired, that they would be eligible for the program. What does it mean, perceptual disability? I think that what people think of primarily is dyslexia and mm -hmm. that sort mm -hmm. of disability. We are not going to codify that in our regulations. We're not going to say if it's dyslexia, you're in. If it's something else, you're out. I think we're going to just leave it to the certifying authorities. Our experience yeah. with certifying authorities is that they take things very seriously uh, and that in general, they have done a very creditable job. Maybe you don't have the precise numbers, but in terms of how many folks are actually subscribed to the program who are visually impaired or may have other disabilities? What we track is one disability at a time. So 
About 45% of the people we serve are people who are visually impaired and about 40% are people who are legally blind. Then we serve about 5 or 6% of people who are reading disabled, and we have about that many who are physically disabled for other reasons, and there's some we don't know for sure. So that's kind of how it breaks down right now. We anticipate that over time there will be a lot more people with print disabilities that sign up, but I believe it's going to take some time for that to occur. People love to cite the NLS data for purposes of assessing how many Braille readers there are. Can you comment just briefly on that? We had something around 30,000 active Braille readers last year. That means people who actually borrowed Braille and used it um, either from hard copy or off a BARD. We did another way of looking at the data and found that we have about 41,000 people who are registered with the network libraries who have indicated that they are Braille readers. Karen, thank you so much. I want to turn the program over to Deb Trevino for a special presentation. Hi, it's my distinct and great pleasure to be able to present the Robert Gray Award to Karen Kanger. This award is someone for improving library services, and Lord knows she's done that over the years, which is full and loyal and dependable and always brings us a good report of what's going on with NLS. And it could also be for um, someone who has made technical and communication improvements. And so, of course, with BARD and BARD Express and with all the different players and things coming out, I'm looking forward to that eBrail thing. I have my own orbit, so, I mean, I'm already using that. Wow. Anyway, we are so grateful to be able to present this award to Karen Kenninger, and I present on behalf of myself, the awards committee, and my co-chair, Debbie Rozier. On behalf of the committee, we are gratefully pleased to prevent this, present this award. Karen, congratulations. Oh Karen. Thank you so much. Nobody deserves it better. Oh, my That's gosh. Right. Well, thank you so much. This has been a lifelong passion of mine, and I just am happy to be able to be where I can make some impact. So thank you so much. Karen, thank you so much for your leadership in this program. Because of the, the seat that you sit in, you know uh, that there's a certain amount of blindness politics out there. So there you go. Good for you. You've persevered and, uh, and I think um, most assuredly taken the program into the 21st century. So thank you for that. Janet, over to you for questions. We do have a few. First question, Karen, is since Reader's Digest is no longer going to be put in Braille from APH if you're thinking of recording uh, Reader's Digest. I haven't checked into that recently, but I will. I'll make a note right now and I will get back to you on that. Two questions pretty similar about converting talking books from the 1930s through 70s. And if there's plans for editing out things such as side one, toad, and two. With regard to the old records, which are the ni- you know the um, 1934 to 1970 style talking books, we do have an archive of them. And we have looked at the possibility of converting them. We haven't initiated that yet. There, it's a completely different process, obviously, than the process that we went through to convert about 40,000 cassette books. So it's something that's on the wish list. Uh, it's not a top priority right now, but it's something we have not lost track of. With regard to editing out side one, tone one, and all that stuff, they're supposed to get edited out when they do the conversions, but sometimes they miss them. So hopefully they'll get better at that as we go along. 
Robin from uh, Pennsylvania wanted to know about managing the five slots that each library user has for BARD from removing mobile devices and wanting to know if that might be something that individuals could control on their own versus having to contact the library. I can look at that as well. We're looking at making BARD easier to use in several ways, and we're going to be actually completely rewriting BARD in the next couple of years in order to meet our expanded needs. And certainly that's something that we want to be able to have more user control over. So I'll put that on the list of things that we definitely want to do. I loved growing up listening to Chaim Potok's The Chosen and The Promise, read by Lan Janney, who was just a phenomenal reader and a historic figure in terms of 1950s, 60s, 70s broadcasting. I don't think those have been converted over. If I had my little wish list of things that I wanted to maybe get converted over, to whom can I lodge those appeals? Send them to me. I'll uh, get them where they need to go. That was Karen Kinninger, Director of the National Library Service for the Blind and Print Disabled in Washington, D.C. From the American Council of the Blind, you're listening to ACB Reports. Another organization which works closely with the American Council of the Blind is the American Foundation for the Blind. Kirk Adams is its president and CEO. So Eric, Mr. Bridges, I should say, talked about ACB values during the opening session. And I'd like to talk a little bit about AFB's values. Our four values are learning, impact, excellence, and collaboration. I think collaboration is really the theme between AFB and ACB, as well as other organizations in the field. As I mentioned earlier on Sunday, there was a presentation about the Helen Keller Archives, which we are proud stewards of, Helen Keller being our most famous and longest tenured employee, and we were equipped her estate. And when I came to AFB, most of the artifacts were in long-term storage, and we wanted them to have a higher impact. We sought a partner to house the archives in the American Printing House for the Blind is building out a, a beautiful museum space for the exhibit. Another example is scholarships. I also found when I came to AFB that there were a number of donors who'd left funds to AFB designated that they be used for scholarships. So uh, we had 10 or 11 scholarships. They were relatively small. Uh, We did an annual application process. We had dozens of applicants. We went through a process to select them. We sent them a check, but we did not have a forum to honor or spotlight the scholarship winners as I have observed ACB doing. So we did reach out to the council and ask if we could make an arrangement to have ACB administer AFB scholarship funds. And this is the first year that's happened. Mr. Bridges and I agreed in principle that we would do that. And then uh, Nancy on your staff and Patsy on our staff had the uh, task of working out all the little details. But it's, it's working. It's been heartwarming to hear the scholarship winners. I just want to talk a little bit about all of our hard work. It's uh, hard to imagine that we will achieve without collaboration the world of no limits for people who are blind that we're all seeking. Our two organizations have a really positive history of partnership and collaboration. I look forward to deepening that. Most recently, we were involved in research related to COVID. And one of the cool things about working at AFB is we have some doctoral level researchers on staff. 
So if we want to dig into a problem to really understand that we have the capacity to design and implement academically sound research studies. And we worked with ACB and 20, a total of 20 blindness organizations to get out a survey right away, flatten inaccessibility, and it looked at areas impacting people who are blind, access to healthcare, education, online work environment, transportation. On the heels of that, we issued a study specifically focused on K-12 education in the virtual environment for blind children. And uh, the results of that study are being analyzed and will be published. I just looked at preliminary results and just one number that jumped out at me, there were 853 TVIs who responded. We we had over 1,900 respondents for both surveys, which is excellent sample size. But of the 853 TVIs who responded, 25% were serving four or more school districts and some as many as seven. We all knew TVIs were spread too thin. Now we have some numbers. So we're really um, at AFB pulled in our focus during COVID a little bit. We have a number of initiatives, a number of things we're working on, but really for the time being, we're concentrating on effective education of blind K through 12 students and continued successful employment in virtual environments for blind people who are employed. It's really impossible to talk about any of these things without taking COVID-19 into account Uh, But anyway, you slice it. We all know the employment numbers. We all know that the employment rates for people who are blind are half as good or twice as bad as the general population, however you slice it. We also know that 38% of blind individuals indicate they've turned down an employment opportunity because of transportation barriers. So there may be a silver lining here in this global crisis as virtual work becomes normalized, becomes the way of the world remote productivity tools improve, that this may open up new opportunities for people who are blind in the world of employment. And we would like to focus on that. Next year is our centennial. We'll be 100, founded in 1921. And we are going to put together a centennial campaign that focuses on employment, spotlights employment, that brings attention to accessibility of tools. Like you, um, we also took our conference virtual, our annual leadership conference. We weren't as ambitious as you. We did not plan 108 sessions. We recorded a number of virtual sessions. Many of them have to do with responses to COVID, and those are archived. They're transcribed and closed captioned. And if you go to our website, afb.org, you can uh, find the virtual conference. And we welcome you to enjoy those sessions at your leisure. Another area we're focusing on, as are you, I know you have the J.P. Morgan Chase Leadership Program as part of your conference and convention. We kicked off a Blind Leaders Development Program this year. Uh, Great inaugural class of 16 Blind Leadership Fellows. Uh, It's a career acceleration program. These are all individuals who are employed, have been between two and eight years and 16 blind mentors. Of course, we are going to bring them all together in person as part of the conference. We've pivoted uh, virtually. We are using a curriculum based on the Leadership Challenge by Kuzis and Postner. Um, We're using the Leadership Practices Inventory. It's a great program. We look forward to continuing it year after year. Applications will be out late summer, early fall for the next round, and we'll make sure to share those with ACB.
So as we look toward our centennial, I mentioned we're building a centennial campaign that's designed to bring focus and spotlight onto employment or people who are blind. And we're really focusing on equity, inclusion, and transformation. Uh, planning's underway. Things can change in a moment. Um, we had planned large galas for next year in uh, Washington, D.C., and New York, and San Francisco. And we are um, making other plans quickly. But we really think we have an opportunity to focus the conversation around equity, inclusion, and transformation. We're having a national conversation that's broader and deeper than ever before, catalyzed by Black Lives Matter. But we are talking about systemic barriers to inclusion, systemic discrimination and oppression. So it really gives us an opportunity as organizations to enter into these conversations. Um, the other night, I was listening to a scholar talk about this opportunity to talk about inclusion. And she talked about all the voices that should be at the table. And she said we need voices from every gender, every sexual identity, every race, every ethnicity, every economic status, uh, veterans. And I, I kept waiting uh, for her to say, and people with disabilities. And I did not hear people with disabilities included in the list. So uh, AFB and ACB, we have an opportunity to reach out to other organizations who are also concerned with systemic barriers and systemic oppression and make sure that we're included in the conversation. So I, I look forward to working with you all to make sure that happens. In conclusion, uh, I've been at AFB for four years now. We went through a strategic planning process to refine our focus on systems change, influencing public policy and institutional practice. We define three broad areas, education of blind kids, employment of blind adults, and support for older individuals who become blind as part of the aging process. We further refine that to look at all of those things through the lens of employment, because as we did our root cause analysis, we saw that meaningful, gainful careers solve a lot of other problems for people who are blind. And then again, with the current pandemic, we narrowed our focus again to really um, highlight and spotlight education of blind kids and employment of blind adults in virtual environments. So that's what we're spending our time and resources and energy on. Um, we look forward to working with you. I'm a little bit of a Facebook addict, so feel free to reach out that way. AFB has a Facebook page. We have a LinkedIn page. And my personal email address is my first initial K, my last name Adams, so K-A-D-A-M-S at A-F-B. Org. That was Kirk Adams, President and CEO of the American Foundation for the Blind. You've been listening to ACB Reports, heard on radio information services nationwide and throughout the world on acbradio.org. ACB Reports is produced at Radio Reading Service of Mississippi, a service of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Contact the American Council of the Blind online at acb.org or phone 800-424-8666. Thanks for listening, and please join us again next month for another ACB Reports. ¶¶